0: We are moments away from hearing Jim Rutherford speak to the media for the first time as the Canucks new president of hockey operations. It is the Canucks hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, of course, is Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Drantz not on the line with us right now. He is all set up in the Norm Jewison media room at Rogers Arena Uh, He will be taking part in that press conference with Jim Rutherford after the presser is over. And, of course, you're going to hear it all here live on Sportsnet 650 when it begins in just a few moments' time. Drancer will uh, get connected with us after the press conference and be with us for the rest of the show for instant analysis and reaction to what we hear from Jim Rutherford. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and we'll bring you now live to Rogers Arena and Jim Rutherford. Uh, Francesco
1: Appellini, our chairman of government. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, another week, another press conference. Um, so we're here this morning to formally introduce uh, Jim Rutherford, as our new president of hockey operations. Um, and when I say introduce, I mean, he really doesn't need any introduction. Uh, anybody who follows hockey knows uh, he's the most successful and respected uh, one of the most ex- uh, respected uh, NHL executive in NHL history, and uh, that 's why a couple of years ago he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I said last week that we needed a time for a change, a change of direction, a new vision, a new voice, and a new pair of hands uh, on the wheel so So Jim was at the top of my list uh, for candidates uh, to come in and turn this franchise around. Um, I'm thrilled that not only did he accept the job, but he really embraced it. Um, you know, his job is to bring a winning team, um, bring in a winning culture. You know, we talk, I talked about culture last week into this organization. And to build a leadership team that can, you know, bring us the Stanley Cup to Vancouver. And as ownership, our job is to support him. So Jim knows how to build a winning team. As a GM, he won three Stanley Cups. one in Carolina two in Pittsburgh and we brought him here to Vancouver to win our first cup so Jim welcome to Vancouver and uh, perhaps you can say a few words
2: thank you thank you uh, Francesco and thank you to the Aquilini family who I got to meet last night and I really enjoyed and I enjoyed my uh, time with uh, Francesco he did something that uh I really couldn't imagine over the course of my long career that an NHL owner would actually come directly to my house to meet with me and uh, that was pretty special I was in a time period when I was uh, not sure whether I was going to return to the game or whether I was going to enjoy having stress free days and uh, so Francesco he convinced me to come to Vancouver so I could have Lots of stressful days. And uh, we have a lot of work ahead of us. But I do appreciate how Francesco presented things, what he told me has happened here over the years, and where he wants to go. Whether I'm uh, working or whether I'm just a fan, which I've been over the last uh, number of months, I always watch Vancouver play because I watch... uh, as many games as I can, from 7 o'clock Eastern right through to 1 o'clock. And, of course, Vancouver's the late game, so I got to watch this team. And uh, I'll say the obvious. I saw what you guys saw in the first 20 games, a team that underperformed. But as I thought more about this team and what I saw, I I saw something in it. And I certainly saw a lot in this franchise in the Canucks brand, that I decided that uh, I'm going to take on this challenge. And I understand it's, it's a challenge. We all know that. And there's a lot of work to be done here. And so that's why I'm here. I'll give it my best, and we're going to do the best we can to change the culture and get to a point where we have a consistent playoff team that can grow into a contender and give us a chance to get to the ultimate goal. So we'll open it up for your questions.
3: Jim, Brendan Bachelor, Sportsnet 650 Radio. Um, when you look at the group of players you have here right now, what do you think you have in them, and what do you think it will take to
2: get them to that next level that yeah. you're talking about? I don't want to look like I'm going to evade a bunch of questions here, but when you look at something 3,000 miles away, it looks a lot different than it does when you walk into the dressing room. So my answer, based on... 3,000 miles away and having my feet on the ground in Vancouver for 24 hours is that this group is obviously better than the first 20 games. But I'm not so sure that it may be even a little better than people think. Now, with that being said, there's work to be done here. There's holes in the lineup. There's areas that have to be worked on. you know, one of the really plus pluses for us is we have a franchise goalie. And when you're trying to build a championship team and you already have that piece in place, then you can you can start not chipping away at things. And you know what what I what I'd like to see and the team's done it really three out of the last four games is starting to play quicker. You know, we don't have a fast team where we have got a lot of fast skaters on it. That's really what I prefer. But if you don't have fast skaters, you have to be smart and you have to play quick. Front pressure, puck pressure, back pressure. You know, support your teammate when he's battling for a puck. We did a good job with that uh, last night. And and start to do, play the game the right way to make it easier to play as a team and easier to win. And uh, But I think... <laughs> I hate saying this because you'll all be mm-hmm. calling me on uh, on January 31st mm-hmm. as to what my thoughts are. But you know, look, watch it really through the month of January and be here. I'll have a better idea where we're at. We're going to have a real tough road trip in uh, in January. You know, going through the gauntlet there, of Florida and Carolina and Washington. But uh, we'll we'll get a better read on this team at that time.
4: Hey, Jim. uh, Ben Kuzma from the Vancouver Province Sun and Post Media. Uh, You spoke of an exhaustive search uh, for your hockey ops department, and it's a connect-the-dots business, and we love to connect the dots. I guess that's what we do in the media. Um, Do you have any kind of idea how it's going to play out in terms of your structure? A GM, do you need two assistant GMs? Have you done much legwork in in that area?
2: Well, I do my homework in this every day, even if I'm not working. So I have compiled a list of 40 people, and I put them in categories as possibility of uh, potential general managers. And one category is of guys that have already been GMs and are no longer with their team. The other group is um, a lot of assistant general managers that would be entry-level GMs that, that I could mentor and work with, which I really enjoy. I have a number of guys around the league that that I've mentored and gone on to be GMs and, and coaches. And so that's what we're going to look for. I'm going to start to work on this uh, maybe even later tonight, start to make some calls and make people aware. I do have one assistant general manager that I'd like to bring in this week. Um... I'm just waiting to see if that's possible or not. So, um, as you know, uh, the hockey department is lighter now than it was a week ago, and we've got to get a few people in place. But all the areas are being covered, you know, as far as the cap, and we have our analytics department and things like that. We've got those things covered right now, but we are, we're going to strengthen that as soon as we can.
4: One of the biggest things for any presidential hockey ops is to have a hammer and a big one and to be able to wield it Uh, The guy beside you is a a pretty passionate owner who has a vested interest in his product. Have you discussed about how that's going to play out when you need to make a trade or make a move? Does it have to be uh, a discussion, or can you just go ahead? Have you guys crossed that bridge yet in terms of autonomy?
2: Well, I'm going to say what most GMs are always afraid to say is uh, the biggest part of being a GM or a president is managing up, okay? And rightfully so. The owner... Uh, invests a lot of money in a team and he has the right to say what he wants. But based on my conversation with Francesco, I feel very comfortable with our relationship. And, uh, and I know as to how we've got this structured that I'm comfortable with how I can make my decisions. So I have no issues with that. And I know we're not going to always agree. And I know you and I aren't going to always agree. It's the way life works. But I feel... I feel good that we'll work through
3: it. Francesco, Jim, talked about his track record of mentoring people that have gone on to manage in the league. How important was that facet of his past experience with bringing him in with some of the people you have in your organization right now, including Daniel and Henrik city Yeah, that was, very,
1: that was very important. I mean, uh, you know, we wanted to, you know, bring in someone with experience, someone that's respected, someone that's had success. Um, you know, I think uh, – you know, in all our businesses, you know, we always like to bring in people with experience. I mean, it's always, it's always a bonus, and, uh, you know, Jim brings that. I mean, he's, uh, uh, any, you can talk to anybody in the NHL, and he has, he has a lot of respect. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that the people we have in place will learn from Jim, and, uh, and the new person he brings in uh, will, uh, will also learn from him. And I think uh, Jim is a great asset to this organization.
3: Jim, uh, you don't have the benefit of choosing your coach, although I guess you could choose another if you don't like Bruce. But what are your thoughts on on Bruce or When you talked about taking this job, was he a guy that you thought you'd be able to work with?
2: I like Bruce a lot. Him and I have known each other probably for 50 years. Uh, we hung out a little bit in our younger days. And uh, we always kid it that, you know, we'd really like to work together someday. We just didn't know it was going to take forever to do it. But I was, uh, uh, I had told Francesco that I would give him an answer the weekend before the Thursday that I gave him the answer. And I was a little bit under the weather and I called him and I said, I don't want to hold you up. So, you know, I'm just going to say No. And you do what you have to do. And he said, "No." He says, "I'll I'll be patient and I'll wait on you." But he said, "You know, I've been working on trying to make some changes, and we need to make some changes, and I think I, I need to do it now." And I've I've talked to Bruce Boudreau and his his agent. Would you be okay with him as the coach? And I said, "Yeah, most definitely." And and I really think when you have a team, and I, and I say this with respect because I think the former coach is a really good hockey coach. Um, But sometimes in sports, it's just the way it goes. Sometimes the players move away from the coach or vice versa. And and I just think, based on what happened the first part of the season, that, that having a guy like Bruce, where he gives the players a lot of confidence and makes them feel good about himself, was really the right guy at this time for this organization. You know, a guy that can come in and motivate and motivate and, you know, get those guys back to feeling they're as good as they, as they should be.
3: I'm Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet, by the way. Yeah, okay. um, you didn't really say why you took the job. You, you said that, you know, you could have had stress-free days and now you're, you're in for some stressful days. Yeah. So, but why now? Why not just enjoy? No, I told retirement? you why.
2: Because I like stress. <laughs> Especially at my age. Well, I love the game. I love the league. I had chances to go other places over the last few months. And I've always done things in a gut feeling. And when I had a chance to go to Pittsburgh, I thought I was going to retire then. And I immediately told my wife, I said, you know, I can go to Pittsburgh and win the Stanley Cup. And, uh, and we did And when Francesco came and he met with me and he talked for a long time, I just felt good about the conversation and I felt good about this opportunity. And it's special being in a Canadian market. It's special being in a place like Vancouver where just coming here as a visitor and coming to games, the atmosphere in the building and knowing how popular hockey is in in British Columbia and how much people love the Canucks. And I think this is a special opportunity where a team has not accomplished what they want it to. And I like to win, and uh, that's where we're going to get to.
5: Jim, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Um, You mentioned that the cap and analytics were covered off day-to-day at the moment. Are are you able to explain to us exactly who is managing that directly under your supervision?
2: No, because (laughs) I don't know everybody's name. (laughs) I haven't been here long enough, but uh, our, our CFO and the guys in the analytics department and also being coordinated with the league to make sure that everything's right. And even when we have the right people in place, Calling central registry on a regular basis is the right thing to do, anyways, to make sure because it gets very complex, as you know, especially when you got guys on LTI and you're trying to be in a position where you can gain a little cap space as each day goes by and all those things. So, but we, you know, I'm I'm going to get those guys some help here as, as soon as I can. But I'm very comfortable it's covered. And to
5: clarify your comment about hoping to bring in an AGM this week, that would be to be an assistant general manager, not to be your general manager. Correct. correct. Um, yeah.
2: it's You know, I think we all want to know things as soon as we can. And and I'm not here to be the general manager, but I'm capable of doing the job. Um, but I would like to get somebody in place sooner than later. But if it's not in the near future, it's okay. We want to get it, try to get it right. Okay? And and really really I have to gather as much information as I can from different sounding boards that I have and, and 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 all that. So so we're we're trying to narrow it down to a short list and then start talking to these people. But I'll start talking to people here hopefully this week. And are
5: you able to walk us through the thought process behind the additional uh, front office changes that were made on friday
2: well, I, I yeah, that. no because i wasn't here and i don't even know them so somebody else that was here canon francisco's was here yeah so
1: um you know the last few weeks you know i've been assessing you know the organization and and uh you know what's been going on and you know uh in terms of you know our leadership group and uh you know, I just came to the conclusion we needed a change. We needed a change in vision. We needed uh, a new voice. Uh, we needed a new culture. And so, at that point, you know, we we decided as an organization just to clean the slate for Jim, and Jim's going to bring in his uh, his people to start over again. That's that was the plan.
2: I didn't I didn't request any moves, but when you, when you're changing the culture. Sometimes when you have people that have been here a long time, it's harder to do. And what I'm trying to do is, is change, change the culture and get to that consistent, positive, winning attitude. And so I'm not saying that those people couldn't do it, but I think the more new, fresh people we have in there, uh, the easier it's going to be to do.
4: Jim? John Hernandez with the CBC News here. We just, you know, you talk a lot about the importance of uh, experience, but a lot of the times when we see these
5: changes, it's often the, um, the usual suspects, and I think critics might say we see sort of the. It, it tends to skew older, white, male. Does that sort of weigh into to the search? I guess when you're trying to to shake things up a bit.
2: It does for me. I know. Um, I know. Our society is changing all the time, and uh, and I would like to see a more diverse um, staff, if possible. Um, now, that's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, you really have to search for that, for people that one, want to do it and are capable of doing it. But uh, I I agree with your question, is probably the simplest way to answer you.
4: Jim, you're known as a guy who makes a lot of trades, a lot of moves in terms of players. Uh, is that something that we can expect to see soon, or have
2: you already started assessing the this lineup here? Well, I'll wait today because you'll have enough to write about today. <laughs> and we have a game tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm not in a hurry to make a trade. Um, I've already got calls. I got calls before I got to Vancouver, um, you know, you know I like this player I like that player don't don't forget me give me a call if you decide to move somebody um but uh no if if somebody calls and something pretty good comes along that we think improves our team now and in the long run yeah we'll we'll take a look at it but I'm I'm not going to be making a lot of calls my focus immediately will be to get this restructured and get people in place because the stronger the hockey department is off the ice, will make the team stronger on the ice.
3: Jim, Jeff Patterson from Rinkwide Podcast. Uh, you mentioned Thatcher Demko, and obviously having a goaltender helped an awful lot. Uh, just curious your thoughts on what you've seen in Quinn Hughes and his time in the National Hockey League, and Elias Petterson who obviously struggled to start this season, but I think everybody in this room knows that there's more in that player than, than we had seen in the first 25 games.
2: Well, both those players are exceptional talents. And Quinn Hughes just keeps getting better, getting better and better all the time. And there's different ways to play defense, you know, the old way. And even now you have bigger players, physical players. He's not that kind of player. But when you can skate like him and go and get the puck first and get it moved, that's the best way to play defense. Go get it and get it out of your end. And uh, and the way he sees the ice and passes the puck, and, you know, he, he's just going to continue to get better and better. I haven't met him, but based on what I've heard and what I see, he's just a hockey guy, and he wants to succeed. In in Pedersen's case, um, you know, the, he hasn't been the same guy the first 20 games. We're starting to see some, some good things here in the last few games, but... He'll come out of it. It's, it's what players do. They, they go in and out at different times of their career. I'm not concerned about him, but I will say we, we need him um, to, to take the next step. And, uh, and he's a great talent. So I'm, uh, I'm sure whatever we can do to help him uh, succeed, we'll, we'll figure it out between the coaching staff and hockey ops. And uh, he's going to be a good player for us. He is a good player for us.
3: Daniel Wagner in Vancouver is awesome. Uh, just in relation to Quinn Hughes, you talked about um, that there are still bigger defensemen out there. Just looking at your time in Pittsburgh, a couple of your moves uh, in more recent years, acquiring Jack Johnson, Eric Goodbranson, those are maybe moves that would not be looked kindly on by the analytics community. Uh, did you learn any lessons from those that can help you in building the defense here in Vancouver?
2: Well, I uh, I use analytics a lot, and I really like it, but it's not what I make my decision on. And you make uh, hockey decisions for different reasons, and I don't regret making those two decisions because Jack Johnson uh, was a big part of our dressing room and a big part of our team, and uh, he did some good things for us. He didn't get a good chance in Pittsburgh because he was never accepted from day one. And uh, so you you're not going to have all skilled skating guys. In Gorbansen's case, we were looking for we needed defense at that point in time and we needed a physical guy cuz we didn't have one. <clears throat> I like his character and he served a purpose when he was there, but it got to a point that it, he affected our cap and so that's when he got moved on. So you're going to have different kind of players. I don't regret those two two moves at all in Pittsburgh. What do you think
3: four wins for Bruce right out of the gate in terms of trying to change the culture and get buy-in and and those things? What do you think the success of this past week does to try to turn the page?
2: Well, it helps the players more than anything because they start to get a confidence level now. It's a lot easier going into a game after you've won a couple and lost a couple and all the negative things that you deal with around you. So that's the biggest thing. And we just have to continue to build on that, you know, and also doing it without some you know, without some defensemen in the lineup. So I give our coaches and our players a lot of credit because <clears throat> they've gutted out some games here. There's some teams come into Vancouver here that are hard to play. You don't get a lot of room when you play the Bruins. There's not a lot of room out there. But but the Canucks hung in there. And then again, last night, different kind of team, just speed, a lot of speed. And uh, to, to end up competing and winning that game should go a long ways for our players.
3: Just a more uncomfortable question. Uh, the team has an ongoing investigation into sexual misconduct from a former player. Uh, you, in Pittsburgh, there was a similar situation that ended up resulting in a lawsuit where there was a claim that there was a cover-up. Um, did you learn anything from that experience that you could perhaps bring to Vancouver and this ongoing situation here?
2: Well, I had very little to do with the one in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, I think it was the draft in Vancouver that that terrible incident was brought to my attention. And I told Billy Guerin, the day we get back to Pittsburgh, come in my office, and this has to be handled immediately. And we did. We turned it over to Human Resources and I, I had very little to do with Wilkes-Barre, so I, I you know, I, I wasn't really a part of that. But it's 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 an awful incident, and uh, there was a settlement made. I take it the sides were comfortable with that, but it doesn't take care of what happened. That those things cannot happen, and I don't know uh, anything about what's gone on in Vancouver. But it has to be dealt with and dealt with properly, and. And hopefully, we all learn from those things that it doesn't happen again.
3: Francesco, would you make a pledge to uh, make the outcome of that investigation public once it's complete?
1: Which one? The one with Pittsburgh? Uh, here in Vancouver. Oh, you mean with the which of the Jake Bertanen? Yes. Right. So, so that's uh, I mean that's under police investigation right now. So we really can't comment on it. We just have to wait for the police reports to come out.
0: would you
3: make the results of your own investigation public once that does happen?
1: Uh, Well, like I said, I mean, you know, anything that's under police investigation, we're not going to comment
4: on that. Hey, Jim, I've run into you a lot over the years, and I used to bug you about seeing you play at the Olympia, and I bring that up because I'm just wondering how an old goaltender uh, transitioned into this long career as an executive, and who were your early influences? Influences that have uh, yeah. helped you along, guided you.
2: Well, I couldn't get a job in the media, so I I ended up having to do this. So, uh, I uh, I love. I mean, I've loved the game. I always wanted to stay in it. And when I retired as a player, Peter Carmanus with Compuware, he contacted me to get involved with their youth program, and. As a former player, we were always anxious to get stay in the league, you know. But what I really liked, what I did was I went back to the grassroots and, and started from there again for my management career. He gave me every opportunity. I became a, a general manager in Windsor in the OHL for four years. We, we lost uh, the final game of the Memorial Cup to Medicine Hat in 88 and then right after that he said I want to buy an NHL team you're you're the point guy find one and and he's really the guy that that gave me the opportunity taught me a lot about the business side of uh of life and and just learned a lot from him I was with him 30 years a long time and uh and then I at that point I thought I was going to retire and I got the call from Pittsburgh and I went there and I learned a lot from those guys you know I had a good relationship with David Morehouse. Uh, I really liked liked and, and do like Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle and uh, learned a lot from those guys and won a couple of championships. so I I've, I'm a fortunate guy. I thank my lucky stars because I love the game and I've been able to stay in it. I would have never thought I'd stay in it this long, but here I am again.
4: Gabby said he scored real quick, said he scored his first NHL goal against you. Do you have any recollection of that? Very much so.
2: Very much so. He had trouble scoring on other guys and I was his friend, so I let him score. (laughs) Let's
5: go regarding the timeline, when you chatted with us last week in this setting, Mm -hmm. um, did Jim Jim had been sick and give you gave you what seemed like a qualified no, but you'd still run Boudreau by him at which point you said that there would be a, a long extended search. Um, did, did, did Stan Smeal have a good idea at that point that Jim would be coming in?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I didn't want to mention anything because I wasn't sure whether Jim was going to take the job or not. It was still, um, you know, Jim was not feeling well. He was, uh, he was under the weather and he said, look, I, I can't make a decision. So I didn't know which, which way, one way or the other. And, uh, so, but at the same time, I was still exploring other options, and uh, you know, when we made Stan in term GM, you know, at that point, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really sure, and so, um, and so, Jim told me, I think on Wednesday that he accepted the job, and uh, and so then we announced it on Thursday. Francesca, you
3: said a couple times now that culture was an issue. Yeah. What, what was wrong with the culture? What needs to be
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a winning attitude. I think, uh, um, you know, culture is is, is something that uh, it's a collective belief. It's a, it's, it's a standard. It's a bar that you set, and you say everybody has to meet this standard. And uh, I, I just felt we just didn't have that. I felt that the, there was no standard. And, um, you know, not point out any particular person, but just as an organization, we just didn't the bar wasn't high enough, and uh, and you hold people accountable to that bar, and, uh, you know, that goes for any organization, you know, whether it's the dress room, the front office, uh, could be any business, and, um, you know, I I just felt Jim, you know, his standards and the bar that he sets and the expectations and the accountability um, was something that, you know, this, this organization needed.
3: Francesco, you said that Jim was at the top of your list. Uh, how many other people on that list did you interview?
1: Um, well, you know, I, the, the, first, the first part was I uh, was looking for a GM. And then, you know, when, when I looked at this, this whole situation and, you know, when I thought, when I was talking to Jim, because we had been discussing this, and, uh, you, know, um, you know, Jim thought that a president role would be something he'd be interested in. And then when he said that to me, that kind of piqued my interest, and I thought, you know, that, that could work well, have a president slash GM. Um, and then, you know, two roles, I think, that's, I think that's something we want to do. But, you know, it's, a president role is somebody that, you know, needs somebody of Jim's stature. And, uh, and so we're very fortunate that he said yes, and uh, so we just went with it.
3: Jim,
4: last question.
3: Uh, Jim Harmon from the Athletic. Obviously, you're going to take your time to assess the roster, see see exactly what you have. But just you mentioned the, you know, from a distance, what you've seen. Do you think this is a group that just needs a few tweaks, plug a few holes to get back to where you want to be, or do you think this may be potentially a longer timeline for getting back to uh, being contenders?
2: <clears throat> well, it's a fair question, but I, I don't have a good answer for you yet. But with the parity in this league, it appears that given year after year different teams, if you lose the wrong two guys, you drop drastically. And if you add the right two guys, you can move up drastically. And so there's a lot of good players here. But there's some areas that definitely have to be improved. And how long will that take, especially with where we are in the cap we have to get very creative or it's dollar in and dollar out. And usually when it's dollar in, dollar out, you know, you're you're just bringing in another player back for that guy. And so, you know, I want to be careful with our trades. I don't want to trade draft picks unless they're later round picks. Um, it's not the cycle we're in to trade high draft picks. And the trades we make, I prefer... You know, that we're gaining some age on it. So, as we move along, if it takes a couple of years to bring it together to be more of a contender, then we got the right age group that they can come together. We're not, and, uh, you know, if I brought a veteran guy in, you know, somebody in their 30s or something, maybe short term, that's different. But ideally, that would be the type of deals I'd look at making. Thanks
0: very much, everyone. Appreciate you uh, joining us today.
2: That is the
0: Canucks' new president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, addressing the media, taking questions, giving us his thoughts on the state of the Canucks for the very first time. And if I had to choose one headline, and boy, he covered a lot of ground in that press conference, about half an hour, a little bit more than half an hour, but my headline would be, there's a lot of work to be done. Obviously, he likes a lot of the pieces that he sees here. But also very upfront saying this team has real challenges going forward. There are holes on the roster. There are challenges with the cap. And as you heard at the very tail end of the press conference, he does not think they're in the spot where trading high draft picks, trading for veterans is going to make a lot of sense for the Canucks right now. Lots to digest from what we heard from both Jim Rutherford and Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini, who was also at that press conference. Thomas Drance, my co-host, Canucks Insider, you heard him ask a few questions there. He will join me momentarily. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, so get your thoughts in. Did you like what you hear, what you heard from Rutherford? Was there anything that you didn't hear that you wanted to hear? Let me know what you think. We will break it all down next. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 6. Welcome back, it's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks, I am Jamie Dodd, and fresh off after uh, participating in the Jim Rutherford, Francesco Aquilini press conference, which you heard live on this station just wrap up a few minutes ago. My co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance joins the program. Lots of texts coming in. We'll try to get to them uh, in the little time we have left on the, left on the show, 650-650. But, Drancer, what was your big headline takeaway from what we heard from both Jim Rutherford, the Canucks new president of hockey operations, as well as the owner, Francesco Aquilini?
5: Well, I think it's difficult to listen to Jim Rutherford and not come away pretty impressed, right? I mean, there's a coherence of thought and strategy. There is a deep well of experience. There's a frankness. There's a command presence that he brings right off the hop. I loved all the things he said that he shouldn't be saying right <laughs> that, you know and he and he called it out himself right he'd be like I shouldn't be saying this but the most important part of a GM's job is managing up this is a guy who's dealt with you know Peter Carmanos in the past and David Morehouse and Ron Burkle and, and Mario of course um, you know this is a guy who's got experience in organizations where that was a priority that was a key part of the success that he had as an executive. I think knowing how the how things have unfolded in this organization over the course of the past decade uh, immediately that has to be reassuring like that has to be sort of the headline item for like why should you believe in Jim Rutherford this guy has managed up extraordinarily successfully in some pretty complicated situations in the past can he do it again here open question but you certainly like his chances you know I liked hearing him say End of January, right? End of January is sort of when we'd evaluate, when we'll know more about what we have. By the end of January, you'll still have two full months before the trade deadline on March 21st. So that's plenty of time to evaluate this team and to tell the players, too, particularly with how they're working, particularly with the fact that they've won six of seven across two coaches, four straight under Boudreaux. Like, you've got a shot here. You've got a shot to show me what you can do. Um, you know, especially when the schedule gets a little more difficult next month. I think that's a good message to send to the room, right? Especially with this team streaking. I also think it makes a ton of sense, and it gives him a ton of time on the back end to really begin to put his stamp on the team. Finally, you know, in, from a pure hockey perspective, he talked about, we're not at the part point in our cycle where we trade draft picks, right? And we we need to gain age in the trades we're making. We need to get younger. I thought... Both of those things from one of the most aggressive general managers of the last 20 years <laughs> <laughs> on the trade market. I think those you know, should calm the nerves of anyone worried that Jim Rutherford, the real trader Jim, was going to come in here and try to do one of those shortcut-fueled retools. That I think are pretty played out that I don't think the market has a ton of patience to endure again
0: at this stage. And there's a couple of things that stood out to me. And just first of all, on your point about, you know, him saying things and admittedly saying things that a lot of executives in the NHL wouldn't say. Right. And you mentioned specifically the example about managing up to the owner and just overall. And I can tell you that this is the reaction we're getting a lot into our Dunbar Lumber text line the clarity the directness the straightforward nature of how he how he was speaking to the media how he was answering questions that really stood out to me and again that is something that is in very, very sharp contrast to what we've seen, right? Just somebody who's yeah. willing to kind of call it like it is. And, you know, some of those answers might be uncomfortable. Some of them might be a little nuanced, but he's going to tell you what he thinks. And there were even a couple of times where he kind of declined because, hey, I don't have all the information right now. So rather than BS you, I'm not going to go into too much detail on that. Totally. The whole, the whole package there, I think for a lot of Canucks fans listening and I'm sure for the gathered media pretty refreshing to just get somebody who you you have a high degree of confidence you know he's shooting straight with you he's telling you what he really thinks I did think it was also fascinating you know Jim Rutherford was never going to come in and say you know this 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 situation is terrible other than a few guys we need to completely tear it down and and look 5 years to the future he wasn't going to do that but I also thought he was pretty upfront about the difficulties that lie ahead here, right? Like, he's straight up said, yep. there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, look, I think the team's a lot better than what they've showed over the first 20 games, or what they did show over the first 20 games, but there are holes on these rosters. You know, he said, they're not a fast team. His preference is to have a fast team. He also talked at the end, you know, because of the cap situation. We're going to have to get pretty creative here. It might be a lot of dollar in, dollar out uh, type of trades. It might, You know, we're not in a position to trade high draft picks to try to bring in talent, so... Without completely throwing the roster under the bus, you know, he had a lot of good things to say as well. If you read between the lines, even just a little, you get the sense of a guy who's coming in with eyes wide open when it comes to the challenges ahead of him in this job.
5: Yeah, and you know, I reading between the lines, I heard a pretty tepid endorsement overall of Elias Peterson, right? I mean, I I would say, um, you know, I thought compared the, compared
0: to the Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demco endorsements, I completely for, agree. For sure. Yeah,
5: I mean, I I don't I don't even know that it's subtext. I thought it was text. I thought it was uh, apparent. Um, you know, the Demco endorsement was through the roof, right? I mean, that's that's pretty clearly the guy that Rutherford sees as a centerpiece right off the hop. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he navigates it because he's right. Like, you know, one question that I hoped to ask him, but I, but I sort of, you know, you never have enough time in those settings and I'll have a chance to ask it of him in the days and weeks to come. But, you know, the question that I really am curious to know is... How much of your aggression in Pittsburgh was situational awareness? You know, you inherit a team with Crosby and Malkin in their 30s. It's like, you know, <laughs> all systems go. Let's yep. let's try and win a couple more before these guys are out of their sort of elite window, right? This situation is so much more complex, right? I mean, you've got a team that is relatively young, right? But doesn't have a ton of near-term cap flexibility to make improvements straightforward, Right. Um, all of the, like, best young players on this team's contracts expire by 2023 at the <laughs> at the latest, except Demko and Hughes, right? Um, you've also got, a, you know, a prospect pool with, like, two guys that'll probably play at World Juniors, and, and I guess Danila Klimovich and Aiden McDonough, but, I mean, there's not a ton outside the NHL roster of significant value, right? And so you sort of got this situation where you're kind of, you know, you have to walk a very fine line between competing now and making sure that, you know, you're, you're in a position to keep some of these good young players who are expiring shortly while also looking toward the future and trying to be really great. Right. Like really great by the time Demko and Hughes and Pedersen are in their mid to late 20s collectively. Right. Yep. So it's just a really complicated situation he's inheriting. And I'm really curious to know how an executive with his level of experience sort of views the overall challenge here. Because I think we got hints of it, right? I thought the we're not in the point of our cycle to trade draft picks. I thought that was a enormously telling quote. This is not a guy who looks at this team as a win-now team. Um, you know, I think that's very, very straightforward to infer from his commentary. But, you know, in terms of the wider angle lens, like the the... 30,000-foot view of of where this team's at and what the challenge ahead looks like. You know, he might not know till the end of January, but I, I would be curious to hear him uh, sort of elaborate on what he sees that as, because, you know, for me, that's the million-dollar question as he begins his tenure as president of hockey operations and, for now,
0: also yep. the general manager. And it was interesting, you know... So okay, first of all, we we only have a few more minutes left because we had to run the press conference. But don't worry, you will hear much more analysis and commentary on what Jim oh, Rutherford no one, had to No say. one's no
5: one's worried that no. they aren't getting enough of me. But
0: don't <laughs> <worry>. <laughs> uh, and I also want to mention, I don't have the exact time in front of me, but Jim Rutherford will be joining the guys on the People Show, Sat, Dan, and Randeep for an exclusive interview later this afternoon. So we will get you that official time as soon as we have it. But you will be able to hear more from Jim Rutherford as soon as later this afternoon. On Sportsnet 650, in the time we do have, you know, he, he was fairly direct and fairly forthcoming about the state of the roster, but I thought even, it was interesting, there were a couple of times where when he was asked about the roster, he kind of turned the conversation back towards building out his hockey operations department and really said, that's the priority for me. And he said, you know, look, I'm not here to be the GM, right? He wants to find a GM. He talked about how much he enjoys mentoring people and the experience he's had that before, and I thought you could really sense the kind of enthusiasm he has for that role overall, I thought the kind of the insights we got to his process and, and what he wants to do with the front office department was pretty interesting as well.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, and it, as he said, right, they're they're running lean right now. Yep. Uh, you know, he he didn't have a straightforward answer yet for who's managing the cap day to day. Uh, When pressed on it, he suggested that, you know, Central Registry would be heavily involved. And Central Registry, you know, he he noted that it's best practice to call CR regularly, and he's right, of course. You know, all the guys who who do that job have really close ties to Central Registry just to check things, just to make sure, right? But, you know, there's a level of initiative that teams often, like teams that really run deep into LTI and and problem-solve creatively are able to sort of take, but it requires a lot of experience. Now, he says that they are trying to get an assistant general manager in this week. I'd be curious to know if that would be their portfolio. I'd imagine it would. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think there were some really interesting questions about exactly how this group gets fleshed back out here because it's necessary. Like, it's really, really needed quickly, especially if this club's hoping to make you know, significant changes after January, but even just in the short term, navigating the roster freeze, navigating potential injury. Uh, Five and a half plus million on um, LTI right now, three and a half plus on IR. This is not an easy roster to manage day to day. And, you know, CR will help. CR will be involved. But, I mean, you'd ideally like to be able to anticipate and be proactive too in planning for it, especially because, you know, it impacts... All manner of items, including bonuses, right? Like including bonus overages for next season. You know, the the potential
0: ramifications are significant. And I also think, you know, there was some when when the Jim Rutherford hire broke and the news was announced. And I know some of your colleagues uh, who work in Pittsburgh expressed some thoughts along this lines of, okay, he's the president and interim GM. But Jim Rutherford is the kind of guy who likes to be hands on. Is there a chance that he ends up just hiring himself as the general manager? And I yeah. thought, to the extent, no, yeah, to the extent that people are concerned about that, I, I think this press conference should kind of set those c- concerns at ease because you know there was a it was a little muddled the exact timeline and the exact process wh- where he and Francesco Acolini agreed to this, but. One of the things that... Oh, do, do you think so? <laughs> I thought it was... I thought Rutherford made it crystal clear. To be totally honest
5: with you, I thought Rutherford's commentary on he was under the weather, yeah. right? Uh, Francesco calls him last weekend, right? Just uh, just on the eve of making changes. He's not ready to say yes at that point, right? Yeah. They put they put out... They they still make the changes because they felt they needed to. I think that's a decision that's aged well, by the way, based on the Boudreaux bump that we've seen so far, right? Yep. Um, but he signs off on Boudreaux. Nonetheless, they hold that press conference on Monday, right? There's a big press release announcing this interim group. You know, some unforced communications errors by the Canucks, like, you know, Francesco's quoted in that release last Sunday, name-checking Chris Gear is like a reason for confidence in this interim group. You know, he admitted that Stan Smeal wasn't aware that Jim Rutherford wasn't quite in hand, but seemed close enough at hand that he signed off on the coach. I mean, that part is really muddled for me. And... You know, I I do think probably, um, you know, poses some pretty difficult questions about whether the club did this the right way. I think they've brought in people that you should feel confident in are the right people, Rutherford and Boudreaux included, uh, or specifically. But I do think it's fair to say that right decision, wrong process is, is very much the message that the organization's sending off. And, and I think that's a high-level takeaway. And to be totally honest with you, a completely fair one based on what the organization has publicly communicated itself.
0: And the other part that stood out to me was that Aquilini said, you know, I thought I was looking for a GM. Then talking to Jim Rutherford, Jim kind of said, you know what, I, I think president would actually be a better role, would be something you should pursue. And that, that kind of convinced Aquilini to go with the president role. And... Again, his
5: first piece of very good
0: advice. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And again, from my perspective, that does not sound like a Jim Rutherford who is angling to also be the general manager. His intent to go out, do a search. Narrow. Uh, he said he had a better list of 40 candidates as potential GMs. He sounds very committed to yeah. finding that general manager. <laughs> For, 40, the 40
5: candidates to be the GM. He might as well have been in an athletic content brainstorm. <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll, I'm pretty sure he'll be able to read that this week from the athletic. Exactly. Um, but fabulous will. stuff from f- fabulous stuff from the Canucks' new president of hockey operations and editor in chief. <laughs>
0: all right dranzer abbreviated version of Canucks Hour for us we'll be back on the air at 11 a.m tomorrow to continue to dig in to jim rutherford and his vision for the vancouver canucks uh bick nazar and lydia cruz have sportsnet today coming up next they will continue to break down jim rutherford's press conference you've got it on the home of the canucks sportsnet 650